are the second week into a series on the Lord's Prayer. And the official title of the series is, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. So I'm going to pray. And uh, why don't we start off together? We'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. And remember, we don't do this out of just some mindless recitation. We don't do this just to repeat things by rote. We infuse our heart. We infuse our passion. This is one of the most uh, comprehensive and potent prayers that uh, we have in the scriptures. And when we pray with our heart, um, there are powerful things that happen, even just praying those very words that Jesus gave us to pray. So let's pray together with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you grab your Bibles this morning, if you would, grab your Bibles and go ahead and mark your place in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to do a quick review on last week, and then I'm going to hit the ground running. Basically, I want to start off with the purpose of this entire series. Why are we doing a series on Lord Teach Us to Pray? Why are we focusing on the Lord's Prayer? Very simply, we want to more effectively establish and advance God's kingdom as sons and daughters by intentionally building a vibrant prayer culture in the house of Antioch and beyond. So that's our big target on the wall while we're doing this series on Lord Teach Us to Pray. We want to establish and advance God's kingdom. Our mission statement here is as a kingdom family or as a kingdom community, we awaken, we equip, we send people to transform cities, regions, nations around the entire world. That's our heart. Because wherever the kingdom of God comes, we believe you'll always see the fruit of that in transformation. So what's the purpose of this series? We want to see transformation. We want to pray knowing that when we pray, things happen. We want to increase the vibrancy of our prayer culture. And by the way, this morning, so proud. Just so proud. Man, this is like a, a pastor's dream to call for prayer and you've got like 30 people line up and we have to start turning people away. And uh, that speaks to who we are. It speaks to who we're becoming. It speaks to one of the values of the house. We value becoming a house of prayer, engaging with the heart of God to see his will made manifest in the earth. And so Antioch, so proud of you this morning. Here's the point of today's message. Here's our main idea, very, very simply, addressing God as our Father glorifies Jesus as the Son. So when we address God as our Father, we actually bring tremendous glory to Jesus as the Son. And we're going to actually be on this theme of the word our for about three weeks maybe four. So uh, I was talking with my staff this Monday and I said, hey, I've got this mapped out perfectly. I can knock this out in about 12 weeks and end right before Easter. And they said, well, if you've got more in you, you really shouldn't hold back from us. And I said, well, I could really take this for about six months. And they said, well, you should. And so uh, don't blame it on me, blame it on the staff, but uh, we're, we're going to take the word hour and we're going we're gonna to milk that thing here for about four weeks. So without further ado, let me talk about our key objectives this morning. 
following our missional components of awaken, equip, and send. Objective number one is we want to be drawn into deeper intimacy with Jesus. So that's one of the reasons, that's one of the targets on the wall today is that every single one of us as a result of what we get into in the word this morning, that we would be drawn, we would gravitate into deeper intimacy with Jesus by doing two things, by magnifying who he is and by exalting what he's done. And what he has done based on who he is, is the very reason why we can even pray It's the very reason why we can even call God our Father. Number two, we want to equip you by revealing the many aspects of prayer that are at work when we say our Father. So you may not have realized this, but every time you approach God and you say our Father, there are so many things that are happening at the same time. And to the degree that you understand what's happening, to that degree, you can get in greater faith, you can get in greater alignment, To the degree that you have understanding, you can pray with greater conviction, you can pray with greater authority. And the third part very simply is to be sent into our prayer lives with greater gratitude and greater understanding and greater faith. Okay, here we go. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And point number one this morning is very simply that the prayer, our Father, is a prayer of gratitude. It is a prayer of gratitude. And as I've been practicing this this week, not just jumping into my prayer time, not just laying out my list of petitions and not just interceding for my family, but actually beginning with a place of tremendous gratitude for who God is and what God has done and tremendous gratitude for the incredible privilege of entering into his presence by the blood of Jesus. It is revolutionizing my relationship with God. It's revolutionizing my prayer time. Let's look at Ephesians chapter two and we'll look at verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, contextually here, Paul's actually speaking to the Gentiles and he's mapping out this entire backstory whereby the Jews were the people of God and, and the Gentiles were, were, and were not the people of God. They were strange, they were strangers. But essentially, we could wrap this into anyone who has never known Christ. Scripture says we were far away from God. And it would do us good as believers to remember that when we approach God, we approach God on the basis of the privilege that we have been brought into through the blood of his son, Jesus. Okay, this is a privilege. See, if we're not careful, we'll we'll, we'll become entitled. We'll, we'll, We'll become so familiar with the presence of God that we'll think that we're actually doing him a favor by praying. Now, I'm going to break this down. We're going to understand today that if it weren't for the bloody sacrifice of our Savior being slaughtered on a cross, you and I couldn't even utter the words, our Father. We, we wouldn't even have the privilege of coming together and approaching his throne and interceding for our nation or, or interceding for our loved ones. We wouldn't even have that privilege. We wouldn't have that level of access to God if it weren't for the price that Jesus paid. One of the phrases here that I wrote down is, our privilege was bought by his price. 
Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Therefore, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach his throne with confidence. Now, this is something that was going to require a little bit of backdrop for us. Because in Old Testament culture, and not just in culture, by the basis of the law, because the perfect sacrifice of Jesus had not yet come, people were not given access into the holy place of God. In fact, there was only one person who was given access into the holy place of God, and he was given access one time a year, never without blood. The high priest would come and he would take all of the petitions and all of the needs and all the sins of the people and he would go into the holy place of God and he would make sacrifice on the mercy seat and he would do that one time a year. Now I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine having access to God one time a year. Jack, you better make sure that you write your prayer list out. You better make sure that you, you, you get that over to the high priest and that he, he is detailed in mapping out your needs in that one day. And God forbid you sleep in or you forget you know, to write in your prayer request because you're going to have to wait another 365 days in order for somebody else to mediate and go between you and God. Now, here's the beauty of this. On the basis of the blood... We who were not given access into the throne of God, we now belong in the very presence of God. And there's this real fine line here. We're, we're, we're not entitled to come into his presence, but we do belong there. We belong there. That, that is the access that we've been granted. Look with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 10 says it in a little bit of a different nuance that I think it's important for us to see. And we'll begin at verse 19 in Hebrews 10. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, everybody say confidence. confidence. Friend, I want you to know today that no matter what you've done, I want you to know today that no matter what you've not done, the blood is greater. The blood is greater. See, here's something that we've got to be convinced of. I don't have confidence in myself when I come before God. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul lays out all of these incredible religious things that he's done. And he says, on the basis of all these things, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Man, I memorized the Torah over and over again. You could question me on every detail, and I would, I would lay you out. Legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I was blameless. And then he says this, all of those things, they are loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, he was saying, I put no confidence in what I've done. Friend, we don't go before the presence of a living God having confidence in what we've done. We go there having confidence in what he's done because the blood is enough. It's enough. We don't need no more sacrifices, 
No more, no more bulls, no more bullocks, no more goats, no more turtle doves, no more pigeons, no more sacrifices of fasting, no more sacrifices of knocking on doors and handing out tracts in order for us to gain merit and access into the presence of God. This is our home. In fact, Ephesians 2.6 says it like this. It says, through Christ now, we've been raised up, seated with him in heavenly places. Do you know what that means? It means every time you pray in Christ, now you gotta catch this. Every time you pray in Christ, you are actually positioned right at the right hand of the Father. That is our spiritual reality. That's where we're positioned in the spirit. In Christ, we are actually making our, we don't gotta scream at him. You ever heard that phrase? You ever feel like the heavens are brass? The heavens are not brass because I'm sitting right next to the Father. I'm right next to him. So when you pray in the basis of the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, you need to go in with this confidence. I am, I am talking right, right hand. Was it right hand, Father? I'm, going to look um, I'm talking right here, right here. We ought to just have this little crick in our neck because we were looking like this. Hey, Father, right here. We just presenting our request right to the Father. No more mediators, no more go-betweens, no more processes, no more any of those things because the blood is enough. Let's look at another passage of scripture here that is gonna be so important for us to understand. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fast forward over here, Dan, to Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 21 through 26. And we're still talking about this prayer of gratitude. See, we have to understand that this privilege of prayer didn't come without a price. It came because Christ was our Passover lamb and all of the sins of humanity were placed on him. Romans chapter three, we're gonna begin in verse 21. It says, now apart from the law, wow, those are small letters. Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. I'm gonna explain all this here in a minute. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Let me ask you this. How many of you are righteous? I like this. I like, yeah, this is good. This is good. All right. How many of you are righteous? How many of you, how many of you are sons and daughters of God? You've received Christ into your heart. So guess what? Guess what? You're righteous. You're righteous. That is the essence of your identity. That is the core of who you are. You may not feel righteous. There might be times where you do unrighteous acts. There might be times where you think unrighteous thoughts, but who you are is a righteous person. It doesn't matter how I dress up on the outside. Who I am is who I am by the basis of who God has created me to be. I am Jay Duncan. I'm a man of God. It's who I am. You can dress me up however you want. I am Jay Duncan. I'm a man of God. All right, now listen, listen. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you do. When you clothe yourself in the robe of righteousness, you're righteous. It is who you are, not because of what you've done, because of what he's done. Look at verse 23. All have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came. This is my favorite part, verse 25. God presented Christ, God presented Christ. 
So now all of a sudden we see all these role reversals and now Jesus isn't the high priest, God's the high priest and God's presenting his son as the Passover lamb, the sacrifice by which all of the sins of the community were put upon him and he was shed and that blood now made atonement for the sins of all of the people. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received How do we receive this? By faith. Let me just explain some of this stuff here. The phrase sacrifice of atonement is also translated as propitiation. Another translation of that is mercy seat. Mercy seat. The New English translation reads verse 25 as such. God publicly displayed Jesus at his death as the mercy seat. God publicly displayed Jesus as the mercy seat. I love that translation. God's word translation reads it like this. God showed that Christ is the throne of mercy. Christ is the throne of mercy where God's approval is given through faith. I'm gonna just explain some of these words because in the explanation of them, it makes our reality very rich Another word for propitiation is the word expiate. It means to appease someone's wrath. To expiate means to atone for. It means to make satisfaction for. It means to extinguish the guilt of a crime by subsequent acts of worship. Did you catch that? To extinguish the guilt of a crime by acts of worship. So just so that we're all clear here, When sin entered into humanity, we all became guilty because sin now dwells inside of every single one of us. So we're guilty before God. That guilt needed to be removed. Our sinfulness needed to be removed and it can only be removed and redeemed by blood. And Jesus' act of worship before God, his obedience to God, laying his life down, as a willing sacrifice was an act of worship between Jesus and God that removed the sins of humanity so that we could enter in and call him our father. It means to remove guilt or a crime is to perform some act which is supposed to purify the person guilty or some act which is accepted by the offended party as satisfaction. So when Christ laid his life down, Here's essentially what was going on. The wrath of a holy God against sin was satisfied. Nothing else, nothing else needed because his wrath was satisfied. See, God's not out to punish you. Do you know know why I know that? Because his punishment against sin was already completely poured out upon Christ at the cross. So perfect love then removes fear. See, we don't have to be afraid that God wants to punish us because all of his punishment already went out upon Christ at the cross. Isn't that amazing? Let's look right here at a couple of thoughts. God is a holy and righteous God. Therefore, he can have no fellowship with sinful humanity. So there's there's all these different attributes of who God is. Yes, God loves us. But the thing that makes his love perfect is that it's completely balanced by his holiness. See, our love is not perfect. 
In fact, our love can be very selfish. We can say that we, I love you, girl. You don't, you don't love her. You love what you can get from her. But see, because we don't have the perfect righteousness of God, we don't have the perfect holiness of God that actually purifies and holds that love in perfect tension. See, if we don't have that holiness and righteousness, we begin abusing love. We begin manipulating other people out of what we call love. But God loves us with a perfect love because his wisdom and his sovereignty and his grace and his mercy and his holiness and his righteousness, they're all perfect and they hold him together in perfection. So God cannot interact now with sinful humanity because God hates sin. His holiness is violated by sin. And it's not just his holiness. I want you to think about this. Sin is the thing that sent his son to be slaughtered. You know why God hates sin? He hates sin because of what he sees that it does to you. You ever ever known somebody that you love? Maybe you're a parent in the room and you've got a child and you just see that the course of their lives, you see that the disposition of their heart towards things, it's destroying their lives. And as a result of it destroying their lives, it destroys you. And not only does it destroy you, it begins to create a hatred inside of you. I'm reminded of the the organization now, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I guarantee you that these women who have lost loved ones, I guarantee you there's a hatred for that thing. There's a hatred for alcohol. There's a hatred for alcoholism. And here's why, because it stole their most precious and valuable belonging from them. That's how God feels about sin. It's not just his personal holiness that's violated. He hates sin because of what it does to you. And he hates sin because it separates us from fellowship with him. So his holiness actually prevents him from interacting with sinful humanity and therefore the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. And friend, one of the big ideas that I have for you today that I want to get through in in my foulness and in my brokenness is I I want to convince you of this. I want to awaken this inside of you. At every time you and I come together to God in prayer, that we recognize the privilege and the honor. Every time we open up our lips and we say, Father, the reason why we can do that is because of a bloody, torturous death of his son, Jesus. It's not light. It's not casual. Yes, he has invited us into intimacy, but he's invited us into intimacy on the basis of the blood of his son, Jesus. I want us to pause here for a second. And Jonathan, if you come up, I have a couple more points that I want to hit. But before we do that, Jonathan and I were talking about this song. And we just felt like it'd be a really good place to insert this song here And for us to think about this, the song is called Jesus Paid It All. And so you can just read the words if you want. You can sing. You can worship. We're going to go through these verses that I'll pick up the next couple of points of this message. And we're going to sing this as a prayer of gratitude and a prayer of thanksgiving, understanding that we can approach God as Father on the basis of what Jesus did through his blood. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus, pay. And Jesus. 
Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe. Where sin had left a crimson stain, He's washed it white as snow. God as Father, we glorify you as Son. Jesus, the exact representation of the Father's being. Jesus, you came to show us who the Father is. Jesus, you said yes to the Father so that we could say yes to the Father. Jesus, you stand inviting us into loving communion and deeper intimacy with the Father. Every time we open our lips, I pray that by the grace of your Holy Spirit, that we'd be reminded of the very reason why we can pray. It's because of your sonship, because of your obedience of your sacrifice and we thank you for that today in Jesus name amen amen point number two not only is this prayer when we say our father not only is it a prayer of gratitude it's a prayer of identification it's a prayer of identification and what what does that mean one of the wonderful realities of the Christian faith is that the life that we now live we don't just live with Christ. The life that we now live, we live in Christ. 
See, our lives are no longer our own. Faith in Jesus identifies us as actually being in one union with him. Now, this is important because it is this spiritual mystery that makes the resources of heaven available to you. It is the spiritual mystery and the spiritual reality that makes intimacy with God available to you. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand, that the same intimacy that Jesus has with the Father that we can have with God in Christ. The same access that Jesus has at the right hand of God, like I mentioned earlier in Ephesians 2, 6, we have that access in Christ. And it makes the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit available to us in Christ. Now, I've got about 15 things here that, and this is just, that's just dusting. That's, that's just skimming the top. But I'm going to go over a handful of these things, and you'll find all the scripture references in your bulletin there. I want to talk about some of our new realities that are in Christ Jesus. Number one, in Christ Jesus, you were given grace before the world began. We find that in 2 Timothy 1.9 that says, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus. If you ever feel like you need grace, if you ever feel like you need that divine empowerment for God, from God for what you're going through, it's already given to you in Christ Jesus. Number two, in Christ Jesus, you were chosen by God before creation. You were chosen Your place in the family was not haphazard. It was not accidental. It was not coincidental. You didn't stumble into the family. God did not make a mistake by choosing you into the family. You were chosen intentionally. It means you were wanted. It means you belong. It means you have a place. It means you have an inheritance. It means you have a prophetic destiny. It means you have family. It means that you belong here. You were chosen before God. We find that in Ephesians 1 verse 4, God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And in sight number three, in Christ, you were loved by God. Every one of us have different stories. Every one of us, there's a God-shaped hole that's inside of us that is actually a magnet. We are attracted toward what we perceive to be love. And that, that, that attraction inside of us can actually lead us to some very wrong places. It can lead us into some wrong relationships. It can cause our soul to be manipulated by people who play off of that need for love inside of us. And friend, I want you to know the only place that that longing will be fulfilled is in the love of the Father, which is already ours in Christ Jesus. It's yours. It belongs to you. It is your new reality, the love of the Father. Romans 8 says this in verse 38, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus. Let me just explain this here for a minute. You may not feel his love, You may not feel you deserve his love. You may not be experiencing his love to the degree that you want to, but it is your reality in Christ Jesus. If you are a son or daughter of God brought into the family by confession and by acceptance of his Holy Spirit, that love is your reality. It is your promise. It is your inheritance. It is yours, and it will never go away. 
Never, never. Your mistakes will not invalidate the love of the Father. It may invite the discipline of the Father, but he disciplines those he loves. So your mistake will never remove or invalidate the eternal love of the Father. Number four, in Christ you were redeemed and forgiven. And this ties in with the previous point. In Christ, in Christ you were forgiven. You were forgiven. It's already a done deal. I want you to think about something here, if you would. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, I think this is one of our points, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, one man's transgression, one man's mistake, one man's violation against the holiness of God invited sin into all of humanity. One man, being Christ Jesus, who knew no sin, his attitudes never moved. I mean, dealing with some of those religious Pharisees, I'd probably get, I'd, I'd get in the flesh. I'd, I'd get, just get a little ticked off. I really would. My attitude, I'd have to get that in check. I'd probably slip over into some language I probably shouldn't slip into just because, you know, come on, that religious demon, I don't like it. Like you are just irritating and agitating the snot. Jesus, man, never, never in his attitude, never stepped into that place of sin. In his thought life, never, ever entertained a sinful thought. In his actions, in his speech, never, ever entertained one trace of sin. And in one moment, all of the sin of humanity, from Adam until Jesus returns. I want you to think about this. All of the sins of all of humanity from the first man, that's a lot of sin. That's a lot of sin placed on him. So imagine never having a sinful thought. Imagine never ever entertaining a lustful thought and in one moment hanging on a tree, the full measure of the full weight of the lust of humanity was placed on you. Never ever having a murderous thought and the full weight of every murderer from Cain until Jesus returns was placed on you. Infiltrating your attitude, infused into your mind, covered you. That's what he did. The full weight of the sins of humanity he took upon himself. Your sin, my sin, the sin of my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, the full weight of that in one moment he completely bore. And the scripture says this in the book of Hebrews, he says, he satisfied it so completely that as a high priest, when he was done, he stepped into the court of God and he didn't remain standing. He sat down because it was done so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's actually, it's actually a violation of what he's done to not fully receive that into our lives. It, 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 it devalues and tramples on that moment, that sacrifice and obedience when we refuse to be fully who he died for us to become. It's not arrogance, it's sonship. Let's look at the next one right here. 
in Christ Jesus, you've become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. You're new. You are new. Old things, old habits, old mindsets, they are passing away. How many of you guys have ever felt discouraged because you're trying to improve, you're trying to get better, you're trying to get new, and then all of a sudden this idea slips into your mind and says, you're never gonna change. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Yeah, absolutely, me too, all the time. I get down on myself, get condemned. Maybe you've had the voice of a parent say, you're just like your father, you're just like your mother, you're just like your grandfather, you will never change. I take that word curse off of you today in Jesus' name because the word trumps every word curse spoken by a family member. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna let you guys look at the other ones here. There's tons of them. In Christ, we stand firm. In Christ, we are sons of God and daughters of God. In Christ, we're sanctified. Read those verses. And listen, don't just read them once. Make them a part of your reality. Immerse yourself in them. They become weapons against the enemy. The enemy's primary tactic is to attack your identity. And every truth that God says about the reality of who you are, he has a corresponding lie. It's his strategy from the beginning. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus is going into the, gar or going into the desert and the enemy says this, if you are the son of God. Well, wait a minute. In Matthew chapter three, verse 17, he just came out of the water. And when he came out of the water, the heavens opened and the voice of the father said, you are my son. Son, and then the enemy says, if you really are the son, why are, you, why are you questioning who I am? I, he already told me who I am. Because every truth about who you are, the enemy will always suggest a corresponding lie. You're not really forgiven. How can you be forgiven? You're not really righteous, are you? And he'll always just suggest the opposite. You have to arm yourself with this new reality. Now, here's, here's something really powerful. When you say our father... When I say our father, today when we pray, our father who art in heaven, do you know what we're doing? It's a prayer of identification. We are saying we are in Christ Jesus. So we're activating every reality of our position in Christ when we call him father. Do you realize that was happening? I didn't know that was happening. I did not know that when I come and approach God as father, I am actually, I can consciously say on the basis now of calling you father, I activate, I authenticate, I set into motion every new reality of my identification in Christ. All of those 15 things, and friends, there's about 50 of them. All right, last, last point here. I'm just gonna just end this. When we pray our Father, not only is it a prayer of gratitude, it's also a prayer of identification, but finally it's a prayer of declaration. You remember that scripture when Jesus says, hey, every time we come together around this table, this table being the sacrament of my body and my blood reflected in bread and reflected in wine or in grape juice, every time you get around this table and you set your heart to remember who I am and what I've done, here's what he says, you actually proclaim, you make a prophetic announcement to people and to the world that I am who I am and that I rose again from the dead. Isn't that amazing? So you, we, have to, we had to partner with that. When we have communion Sundays, it's, it's not just about getting the biggest cracker. I gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta teach my kids that sometimes. 
I, my daughter will just sit there and she'll just try to choose. Like, I'm like, just pick a piece of cracker for God's sake. It's all the blood, all the body of Christ. Like measuring cups one with another. My, just drink, just, oh. Okay, so listen, we have to partner with this reality. When we come to the table, we are making a statement. Jesus rose again. You know what happens when we say our father? It's a prayer of declaration. We are saying Jesus is not dead. The reason why we can call you father in this living relationship is because Jesus, who is our access to the father, is alive today. And so every time you say our father, you ought to say this. Today I say our father and I declare that Jesus is alive. He is victorious over sin. He is victorious over death. He's victorious over the grave. And the new reality of my life in Christ is activated because I declare that I am who he says I am and he is alive and he's coming again. So when you say our father, you're saying, God, thank you for what your son Jesus did as the propitiating sacrifice. When we say our father, we're saying, yes, this is who I am in Christ Jesus. And when we say our father, we say, I'm following you till the end and you are coming again. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Let's all stand to our feet this morning.